Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. When we come up against uncertainties, when we come up against overwhelming circumstances, when we come up against odds, the odds are against us. You know, that is only a problem if the Lord is not with us or on our side. But if the Lord is with us and on our side, then it's not a problem. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Isaiah chapters 36 through 39. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, we are going through the Bible, and we're picking up in the book of Isaiah. That's where we're at, and we pick up in chapter 36. And Isaiah is, it's kind of divided in two, and it's interesting that people have seen Isaiah as sort of a miniature Bible or a Bible all in one book because it has 66 chapters. And uh, the Bible, of course, is made up of 66 different books, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. So when we come to the end of chapter 39 in Isaiah, we really do come to kind of a new section. So the final 27 books are, are somewhat different than the first 39 books. And the portion that we're looking at is a critical point in the history of Judah, the kingdom of Judah under King Hezekiah and uh, the prophet Isaiah as they stand together against the Assyrian army that is threatening anyway to conquer the city of Jerusalem. So that's what we're looking at. So here we are, Isaiah chapter 36. And, and let me just remind us of this. I was thinking about this Sunday when Sunday morning we preached on hope in troubling times. And we looked at Psalm 46, a great psalm that encourages us that even though the mountains are thrown into the midst of the sea, we can rest in the Lord. And that great passage there in the 10th verse of Psalm 46, be still and know that I'm God. But my point is this, I was thinking almost the entire Bible is written in a context of trouble. And we don't always realize that, but you know, the more you dig into it, the more you realize that in the very earliest chapters of the Bible, you had no trouble because sin had not yet entered into the world. But once you hit the third chapter of Genesis, everything from that point forward is troubling. And it's the whole context of human history is really troubling times. And the scriptures themselves were written to people in trouble, in various kinds of trouble, and were given by God to help us through those seasons. And I think of that great passage in Romans, Romans chapter 14, where, or 15, I think it's verse 4, it says that the things that were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so all of these stories were written for the successive generations. So we could read these stories and we could be comforted and we could have hope because we see the faithfulness of God. And so we're gonna see that in these chapters that we look at. So during Isaiah's lifetime, as we pointed out in previous studies, 
the great threat was Assyria. Now, later on, and Isaiah would often prophesy about the future threat of Babylon, but during Isaiah's lifetime, Assyria was the great threat. And the northern kingdom was actually conquered by Assyria and carried away into captivity in about 721 BC. So as we pick up the story, the Assyrians are now attempting to overthrow Judah. So remember, there are two, Israel is now two kingdoms. It's the northern kingdom of known as Israel or Ephraim, and it's a southern kingdom known as Judah. And so now at this point, Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, he's conquered the other major cities of Judah. And now he's right on the doorstep of Jerusalem and he's threatening. And so that's really the context for what we are studying. So let me pick up in chapter 36, verse one, it says, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, King Sennacherib of Assyria attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Then the king of Assyria sent his royal spokesman along with a massive army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. So Lachish was one of those other cities in Judah that was conquered. So the Assyrians stood near the conduit of the upper pool by the road to the launderer's field. Now, of course, in the day that this was written, everybody would go, oh, I know exactly where he was standing. We don't know exactly where he stood, but he stood there near the road to the launderer's field. And so Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, who was in charge of the palace, Shebna, the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the court historian, they came out to this representative of the king of Assyria. The royal spokesman said to them, tell Hezekiah, the great king, the king of Assyria says this, what are you relying on? You think mere words are strategy and strength for war? Who are you now relying on that you have rebelled against me? So this is the king of Assyria, basically speaking through his representative to Hezekiah through his representatives. So look, he says, are you relying on Egypt? That splintered reed of a staff that will pierce the hand of anyone who grabs it and leans on it. This is how Pharaoh king of Egypt is to all that rely on him. So he was accusing Hezekiah of trusting in the king of Egypt. He says, that's a waste of time. It's like somebody leaning on the pointed end of a, of a broken reed, and that reed's going to go through your hand, and it's going to harm you rather than help you. That's what reliance on the king of Egypt is like. And so then he goes on and he says, suppose you say to me, we rely on the Lord our God. Isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you are to worship at this altar? So the Assyrians are confused. They, don't, they think that Hezekiah in his cleansing of Judah, he had them do away with the altars to the foreign gods. But in their mind, they don't know the difference between the foreign gods and the true God. So they've got it mixed up and they're thinking that I, Isaiah is trusting the Lord, but he told people to tear down the altars of the Lord. But of course he didn't. Uh, he had them cast down the, the altars of the idols and commanded the people to worship at the one altar there at the temple. 
So he goes on in verse eight, now make a deal with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able to supply riders for them. How then can you drive back a single officer among the least of my master's servants? How can you rely on Egypt for chariots and horses? Have I attacked this land to destroy it without the Lord's approval? The Lord said to me, attack this land and destroy it. So here we see the the deception of the king of Assyria and his representative. He's now claiming that it was the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, that sent him to attack the city. So Eliakim, Shebna, Joah, they said to this royal spokesman, please speak to your servants in Aramaic since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew within earshot of the people who are on the wall. So they're saying, look, just talk to us in Aramaic. We understand it and we we don't want the people. In other words, they're saying, we don't want the people to hear what you're saying. Lest, of course, the people be frightened or the people insist on complying with the demands of the foreign king. And so the royal spokesman Though he replied and he said, has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you and not to the men who are sitting on the wall, who are destined with you to eat their own waste and to drink their own waste? Then the royal spokesman stood and called out loudly in Hebrew, listen to the words of the great king, king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you for he cannot rescue you. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to rely on the Lord saying, the Lord will certainly rescue us. This city will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. So now he's speaking so everybody can understand what he's saying. He's speaking in Hebrew and now he's appealing to the people and he's trying to create a a fear among the people that will cause them to revolt against Hezekiah and come over to the king of Assyria. And so, but it's interesting, he says, don't let Hezekiah persuade you to rely on the Lord. Wow. I mean, talk about the the mouthpiece of the devil here, basically seeking to undermine their trust in the Lord, seeking to undermine their faith. Don't believe a word of it. Hezekiah is telling you to trust the Lord. Don't believe him. Don't trust the Lord. That's really what he's saying. And of course, we could hear people say that to us today as well under various circumstances. So he goes on, verse 16, don't listen to Hezekiah for this is what the king of Assyria says, make peace with me and surrender to me. Then every one of you may eat from his own vine and his own fig tree and drink water from his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware that Hezekiah does not mislead you by saying, the Lord will rescue us. Has any one of the gods of the nations rescued his land from the power of the king of Assyria? So again, he's saying, hey, look at the, look at the track record. Don't listen to Hezekiah. Uh, look at what's happened with the king of Assyria. In other words, he's conquered everybody. You think you're going to escape? That's his point that he's making here. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Have they rescued Samaria from my power? Who among all the gods of these lands ever rescued his land from my power? So will the Lord rescue Jerusalem from my power? 
So basically, he's just saying, uh, I'm invincible, and none of the other gods help their people. Your God is not going to help you. But they kept silent. They didn't say anything, for the king's command was, don't answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was in charge of the palace, Shebna, the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the court historian, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and reported to him the words of the royal spokesman. So now as we come to the next chapter, they now come and they bring this message to Hezekiah that they've now heard from the spokesman for the Assyrian king. And when Hezekiah heard their report, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and went to the Lord's temple. Now, this is a national crisis, obviously. And as has been pointed out by the representative of the king, the Assyrians have conquered everybody. And they are on literally on the doorstep of Jerusalem. What do you do in a crisis like this? Well, Hezekiah does the absolute right thing. He tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth. This was a, this was a way of expressing repentance. It was a way of expressing grief. It was a way of expressing distress and urgency and those kinds of things. He did that and then he went into the Lord's temple. So he went into the house of God. And when a crisis comes, when a disaster comes, this is where we go. We go to the Lord, just like Hezekiah did all of these centuries ago. And as we're going to see, the same God who was there to deliver Hezekiah and the people of Judah is the same God that we are resting and trusting in today. So as we go on, he goes into the Lord's temple. He sent Eliakim, who was in charge of the palace, Shebna, the court secretary, and the leading priest, who were wearing sackcloth, sent them to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They said to him, this is what Hezekiah says. Today is a day of distress, rebuke, and disgrace. It is as if children have come to the point of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear all the words of the royal spokesman whom his master, the king of Assyria, sent to mock the living God and will rebuke him for the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, offer a prayer for the surviving remnant. So this is what they're pleading with Isaiah, the prophet, to do. Pray for us, seek the Lord for us. So the servants of King Hezekiah went to Isaiah, who said to them, tell your master, the Lord says this, don't be afraid of the words you have heard with which the king of Assyria's attendants have blasphemed me. I am about to put a spirit in him and he will hear a rumor and return to his own land where I will cause him to fall by the sword. So the Lord basically says to them, don't be afraid don't worry. I'm going to take care of it. And he tells them what's going to happen. He's going to end up back in his own land and he's going to die back in his own land. Now, that would have seemed almost impossible at this point. I mean, we're going to see in a minute the size of a military force that had come up against Jerusalem. 
And, and to have these words, don't worry about it, it's all gonna be okay, he's gonna go back home, it would have seemed like, really? How, how is that even gonna happen? It just would have seemed like an impossibility. But you know, that was the word of the Lord. It was real simple, it was real clear. It was, don't be afraid, I'm gonna take care of it. That's what God said. And when we come up against uncertainties, when we come up against overwhelming circumstances, when we come up against odds, the odds are against us. You know, that is only a problem if the Lord is not with us or on our side. But if the Lord is with us and on our side, then it's not a problem because, of course, there's no one who can resist God. There's no one who can overthrow God. There's no one who can thwart his purposes. There's no one who can hold back his power. And so just as the people in Isaiah's day could take this simple word and rest in it, you know, we can take those same kinds of words today. Judah is here in a crisis, but the word here is quite simple. The word is don't be afraid. Trust me, that's what the Lord is saying. And we're going to see that as we go on here. So he declares the king's going to go and he's going to return to his own land. He's going to fall by the sword. So when the royal spokesman heard that the king of Assyria had pulled out of Lachish, he left and found him fighting against Libna. The king had heard concerning King Tirhaka of Cush. He has set out to fight against you. So when he heard this, he sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, so just so we get what's going on here. So now the spokesman, he hears that the king, Sennacherib, he's been, he's been kind of turned in another direction. And now he's hearing that forces are coming against him from other places. And so he's leaving off. His intention is to lay siege to Jerusalem and to overthrow it. But now he's putting the brakes on that because he's got other business to tend to. He's got to fight these other battles. But now what he says, he wants to basically warn Hezekiah not to trust in what's happening right now as though he's off the hook. He's basically saying, I got to go fight a few other battles, but I'm going to come back. That's what he's about to say here. So he says, uh, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, in verse 10, don't let your God on whom you rely deceive you by promising that Jerusalem won't be handed over to the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the king of Assyria, the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries. They completely destroyed them. Will you be rescued? Did the gods of the nations that my predecessors destroyed rescue them? Gozan and Haran and Rezef and the Edenites and Talassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, Hena or Iva? So again, he's just threatening, saying, look, nobody's yet been able to escape us and you're not gonna escape us either. And so Hezekiah took the letter from the messenger's hand, read it, and then went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. Then... Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. So here in verse 16, we have the prayer of Hezekiah. Lord of armies, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. So Isaiah does 
exactly what we always need to do, especially when we go to prayer in a time of crisis or a time of distress. The first thing he does is, of course, he's addressing God, but he's, in a sense, he's reminding himself of who he's addressing. He's reminding himself. God doesn't need to be reminded of who he is. He's the God who created the heaven and the earth. Of course, God knows all that. But Isaiah and those around him need to remember that. And thank God they wrote it down because we need to remember it too. Our God is the God who made the heaven and the earth. Our God is the creator of all things. Our God has all power, all wisdom. He has all understanding. He has all that we could ever need to succeed, to be secure, whatever the case is. And we always have to keep that in mind. As we're faced with a difficulty, as we're faced with a challenge, we have to remember who it is that we're calling upon to meet the challenge. And when we remember that whatever the challenge is, it's no match for God, that in and of itself brings us a degree of comfort, doesn't it? And so that's where Isaiah starts. And then he goes on, he says, he says, listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear all the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated all these countries and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but made from wood and stone by human hands. So they have destroyed them. Now, Lord, our God, save us from his power so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God, you alone. I love the way Hezekiah says this here. He acknowledges, yes, they did. They conquered these nations. They defeated their gods. Their gods couldn't help them because their gods were not real gods. Uh, Hezekiah knows that. And of course, he reminds us of that here. And that's true in every case. The Lord is on the side of his people. And whatever other gods might be arrayed against us, they're not really gods. Whatever other forces, uh, they're no match for the Lord. And so Isaiah then comes back into the picture. The son of Amos sent a message to Hezekiah. Verse 21, the Lord, the God of Israel says, because you prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word the Lord has spoken against him. Virgin daughter Zion despises you and scorns you. Daughter Jerusalem shakes her head behind your back. Who is it you have mocked and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel, you have mocked the Lord through your servants. You have said, with my many chariots, I have gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon. I cut down its tallest cedars, its choice cypress trees. I came to its distant heights, its densest forests. I dug wells and drank water in foreign lands. I dried up all the streams of Egypt with the soles of my feet. Have you not heard? So this is the Lord now responding. First of all, this is the idea that the king has. I've done all of this stuff. I'm invincible.
the month of July, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Is Jesus History? by Dr. John Dixon. How do we know that Jesus was in fact a historical person? Can we really know anything about ancient history with certainty? In his book, Is Jesus History? Historian John Dixon answers those very questions. He presents the evidence for the historical existence of Jesus in a clear manner, so the reader can make their own conclusions based upon the evidence. Dr. John Dixon addresses the conclusions of mainstream scholars, both Christian and non-Christian. He also examines the contemporary significance of Jesus' claims if someone concludes that he did in fact exist. If you want to know about the historical evidence for the existence of Jesus, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order is Jesus History by Dr. John Dixon. And when you give the gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.